When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. With me, Russell Guyver. No Peter Marsh this time. He's busy working or something. And then he's travelling to some northern outpost at the weekends, travelling up early on the Friday. So instead, I'm joined by a regular contributor. Uh, welcome back to Mr. Andy Bravery. How are you doing, Andy? Hello there, Russ. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Recover from my birthday party at the weekend. Yeah, good. I have. I don't know about you, but I have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow I made it back to the pub the next day to do my film podcast. So that was a miracle in itself, I have to say. Anyway, <laughs> and thanks to Phil for joining me for that as well. Um, so in this episode, number 156, we're going to preview the season. The big kickoff for Premier League clubs, at least, um, is this weekend, um, starting with the Brentford Arsenal game. It's the Friday night kickoff that is the curtain raiser for the Albion. It starts at a conventional time, would you believe? Saturday at three o'clock versus Burnley at Turf Moor. Uh, as I mentioned, Peter's going. I'm not going. I don't know if you're going, Andy. Are you? I'm not going, no. No, no. no. I'm getting ready to go on holiday. <laughs> fair play, fair play. Um, so we'll just run through, really, what we've got. A little bit more Albion news, the big preview. Um, reflecting on the Amex at 10, because, of course, 6th of August, which is um, last week, marked 10 years of senior competitive men's football at the new stadium. Um, that fateful day when we played Doncaster came from behind to dramatically win 2-1, thanks to Will Buckley. Um, we con- concluded that decade with a lovely comeback win against Man City as well. So we've been uh, bookending it quite nicely. So as this is a new decade, we need to have a dramatic comeback win against Watford next weekend, I suppose. Anyway, more on that later. So starting off then, Albion News. Um, we've got a deal over the line since we were last on air. Kaoru Mitoma, um, as it's pronounced apparently, uh, has signed and gone back out on loan to Union Saint-Gilloise, uh, Tony Bloom's club in Belgium, who are now a top flight club in Belgium. Um, that's obviously like a, a signing, get him out on loan, get him some experience, maybe improve the work permit status, I'm not sure. Um, so that's, that's an in and out. Um, we're still waiting on any other news. Kukurelia may still be a thing. Edouard rumours have resurfaced here and there. 
Celtic man. Um, obviously, Darwin Nunes as well persists as a possible rumour. Um, but nothing concrete so far uh, beyond the new Japanese lad that's come in. Um, any thoughts on that, first of all, Andy, and our transfer status in general? <laughs> um, well, I've sort of reading a bit on uh, Twitter today about the um, Potter's um, first news conference of the season, obviously. Um, hmm. And um, he talked about a forward and he makes some comment about it being hard with our structure. So I'm not quite sure if he meant the wage structure or he meant the amount of players that forwards we've still got, albeit most of them aren't really uh, look like they're going to perform much this season, um, or whether he meant the way that we play the game, really, um, whether that's going to be any different this season. So um, I suppose for a lot of fans, uh, they're going to be pretty underwhelmed by our um, our signings. I mean, really, we've brought in, you know, in terms of first-teamers, we've brought in um, Moepo, um, for a midfielder, and we've lost. Obviously, we've lost a good defender. But personally, I think that um, you know they probably would bring in a forward if they could find the right one. They clearly haven't. I think we could do with a wing back, um, preferably a, um, I think a right wing back or a left wing back, but either really. But we need we certainly need a wing back um, if we can get one in. And then I think it's just going to be down to how Potter you know, what, what his ideas are for the team, whether we're going to play three at the back this season. Because all of a sudden, if he plays a back four, then all of a sudden we've got plenty of centre-half still. But if he's going three at the back, then we can't afford many injuries. Um, I mean, it's season, some things don't change, do they? So we've got um, Welbeck and Lamptey injured, you know, so what changed there, really? Um, yeah. And obviously Burns joined them. Um, so, you know, and there's a few others I think we can be optimistic about them having a better season. Um, Modder for a start, you know, he would have developed. Um, I think as well that um, you know, I've, I've been, I was reading an article from Naylor in The Athletic and um, you know, 15, 15, 15 of our defeats last season 11 of them were by goal. So, I mean, defensively we only conceded, I think, 46 goals all season and that was by far the best in the, um, the positions 12th to 20th. Um, so, you know, if, if that can be sustained, that's a really good uh, basis for which to go forward. And we don't need to tweak it a great deal. You know, even if Morpay goes from scoring eight goals to 15 goals and Welbeck gets 10 goals and, you know, maybe Mwepo is the, and Moda can finally contribute some from the midfield you know, we can get some more midfield goals, then then we're kind of, we're probably more than safe again. But I think, you know, some fans, they just, um, I don't know, they just lose the plot, don't they? They just lose yeah. the plot. I think most people that have been panicking and getting getting a knickers and a twist about the transfer window, if they were running the club, I think would have got themselves into, total, got the club into a total mess by um, overspending on panic buys for... For, for top names that we can't really afford or uh, panic buying players that really aren't actually that great just to get a, a name over the line. It's about it's a balancing act, isn't it? We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but Paul Camlin, yeah. when he's spoken to us, the Seagulls over London has been at pains to point out on a number of occasions that it's a balancing act. You've got plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, all these different players for different positions where you might be looking to target. And within those, all those different plan A's and plan B's and plan C's, there's there's various delicate balances involved in terms of um, other players, other clubs that are 
we, we might want to buy people as soon as possible, but other people are sitting on it. The players, the um, the agents, and to probably a large degree, the clubs, it's in their interest to let this ride out over a longer period. So the players that are worth getting are going to take longer to get generally, with few exceptions, because they're looking for the best offer for their, for their clients. And as I said, there's other, there's other deals going on that aren't actually directly to do with us, which are being affected by um by what our plans are so if we if somebody's trying to sell someone before they're um sorry if someone's trying to buy someone before they're willing to sell our targets to us then we might have to wait on some shenanigans going on with an agent it's nothing to do with us it's just something to do with another deal along the chain so there's so many different nuances to this um we're not even a will to or a pleasure to know any of them anyway <laughs> all we do know if we're sensible, is that there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. And none of this is anywhere near as easy as some people in the social media world would um, would like it to be. Well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think, and, and I, I think really important that, I mean, if, if it looks like it's going to be the case, if we can keep hold of Pursuma, then that's a real bonus for me. Hmm. You know, that's a real bonus. Absolutely. Yeah, if you've got him and you've got other players improving and stepping on a year, as you said, more, more modern people like that, but then we're stepping on, we, we're getting into a better area if more pay yeah. just you know if, if he just gets his confidence back and even if he adds three or four more goals and, and Welbeck only adds two more goals and as you said the midfielders do that will probably be enough to improve on what we've had anyway and then if we can get a signing even if it's at the end of the window or even if it's in January maybe that's enough yes of course I would like to get a quality striker in right now and for him to hit the ground running plus the two wing backs we probably need plus a, a wide attacker um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we'll be okay if we have to be okay. I think that's Potter's stance, isn't it, in terms of how he's approaching the media. He doesn't want to say too much, which is fair enough. It's not much he's he can quite, say. I mean, he's quite cagey, isn't he, Potter? You just don't really yeah. know what he's thinking. But there's a bit of yeah. me that when he says, well, you know, we've got players and we've got the resources and developing players and that's about coaching. There's some of that I actually believe. I think with him, there is a bit of professional pride about actually developing what he's got now how far that goes and what conversations go on behind closed doors I don't know but mm. I think he would appreciate the fact that you know that, that they could go and spend 25 30 million and then we get someone in as a forward and then obviously he's under pressure then to make it work and if it doesn't work then that becomes his fault so maybe he likes yeah. work with the younger players maybe he finds them easier to coach and manage and improve so yeah. I think you know we'll see I think um like I say if we can keep, if we're defensively as good as we were last season, and then we can eke out another another 10, 15 goals over the season, because so many games it was a case that we just didn't get a second goal, then we'll be fine. We'll be mid-table, you know, and you never know where you're going to be. If you can sort of sustain mid-table, you never know where you're going to be. You know? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think the three guys that have come up, I think... Um, it's going to be a tough shout for them to get ahead of us, I think. They might survive. One of them might. I doubt more than one will. Um, but it's going to be a tough shout to get ahead of us. On top of that, you've got Bernie, would, um, yeah, we'll be chatting to um, football writer there. I'm, I'm interested to see what he says. But he um, essentially, um, you know, saying, I, I would imagine their squad is very limited and they don't have much going on there. Then on top of that, you've got... Um, well, basically, Southampton seem to be selling all the crown jewels. They they were very lucky to finish. I think they did finish above us, didn't they? In the end, um, not much in that at all. 
they've sold Ings, who they did have last season. They brought in Armstrong, who might do as well. He might stay fitter than Ings, but um, would he do the business? Who knows? And they're now talking about mm-hmm. selling Vestergaard, which is a massive, in, in more ways than one, a massive loss. No, yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. In terms of Vestergaard, well, I think he's a, mm. I think he's a good player. I like, I like the look of him when he played against us, and um, and he scored obviously against us. And and what I've seen quoted once again in social media. Um, is that less than one in, and it's 15 million. I think that's quite a good deal, 15 million quid. Mm, I do. You know, and, yeah. um, and as for um, Burnley, well, every year I think to myself, well, Burnley, they're not bringing anybody in. Anybody they do tend to bring in tends to be somebody that no one else wants. Um, they're really stale. This is going to be the year when they're going to really struggle, you know, and blow me every year, they do enough. They do enough to stay up and usually and a little bit more, you know? I can't <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they'd be amongst the teams I'd be looking for us to finish above again this season, but there's no guarantee. No, that's right. I think you're right about those coming up. I guess the difference this year for um, Norwich looks like, so I think they bought some players last season when they went down and they brought in two or three, I think, during the um, pre-season. Whereas I think, if I'm right, a couple of years ago, they hardly brought anybody in when they went up. It was virtually the team that went up. Uh, Brentford, yeah. who knows? I mean, there's all, I mean, in recent times, there's always one of the three, isn't there, that sort of does something a little bit, you know, a little bit special and, and outperforms expectations. You know, yeah. maybe that'll be Brentford. I, I think it will be. I've, I've got very good vibes about Brentford. I think they are the team to watch. I think they'll be entertaining regardless. But I do think that they've got the best chance, in my opinion, of staying up. And... I, I, I tip them to do so. I think they might actually just survive. When you look yeah. at those other teams who've listed, plus the, the other two teams have gone up, I don't think we'll do as well. Um, even Norwich won't with, with their better prep. Um, but also, I mean, Josh, uh, John Sargent, they've signed from, um, was it Josh Sargent from um, Verder Bremen? Quite an unremarkable player, to be honest. Um, they're not fishing in the right pond, in my opinion. But anyway, um, Wolves, another team that's really regressed. And where they go from now with a yeah. new manager... I mean, it's upheaval. Speaking of upheaval, Palace have, have had a massive amount of upheaval. And, well, we don't know how that's going to go. No, it's, I mean, it's a hell of a lot of new stuff to deal with at once, isn't it? It's going to be an so, interesting one, isn't it? I mean, the, the, you yeah. know, the fans up, was obviously I live in Croydon, the fans up here that I speak to, you know, they're, they're full of optimism and they, they like the fact that they're bringing in some younger players. But, mm. you know, I think it's one of those that basically it's either going to be a great success or Vieira will probably be sacked by October and they'll be like, yeah. Looking around for the new Tony Pulis. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm guess, hearing... Sorry, go on. Yeah. I've just got to say, I guess the one thing that they are doing now is that they are, you know, they're definitely changing their their strategy and philosophy and, and going for some younger players. Um, mm. And, um, you know, and they're spending some money, but they're, they're probably not paying anywhere near as much on wages. That's pretty much ties in with what I was going to say. They've, by all accounts, what I'm hearing is they're playing much more of a high... They're going to be playing a higher line higher press um, getting on the ball more and, and taking the games to people a bit more than the counter-attacking style they had before which is obviously a welcome change for the fans from an aesthetic point of view mm. whether it's going to translate well enough for them to survive with a whole new load of new players we'll wait and see but um, yeah. I mean and I guess you know they'll probably do better comes. than De Burr I think <laughs> yeah another year comes and uh, another year Saha doesn't seem to go so you know mm. I think it's going to come a point when he might have to just resign himself for the fact he's staying in South London. Yeah, I mean, there's no rumours at all. Is there about him leaving? I don't think at the moment. Not, yeah, not heard so. anything up here, no. 
So yeah, well, um, it's going to be interesting. I do think those those teams we just discussed could all finish below us, even with the personnel we've got now. This is on the basis that Lamptey gets his way back in later in the season, and Welbeck does, and and there's no other dramatic problems that we have yeah. we don't know about yet. Um, and we've got, on that and we basis, got, we could. Yeah, and we've got March back as well. You know, he was mm. having a great season. Yeah, and one or two, like I say, and people like Modder, you know, I think they, you know, they. They probably didn't even really get much of a chance in their in their real position, correct position. I'm just really intrigued to see how um, Potter plays it this year and whether he sticks with three, you know, three centre halves or whether he he plays two and and because he's played some mm. games, he's played four and then he's played like a diamond. Yeah. Um, or whether I he think he'll play. Bit, you know, he might mix play, it up a bit. He'll probably play two centre backs when he in these early games while we've got the injury issues. I, I would imagine. Um, in other words, well, Lamptey, you mean Inveltman has to go to the right and I mean, being out. Yeah, well, Russ, I would say logically, yeah, but you just don't know, do you, with him? I mean, you just can't predict <laughs> This is Graham Potter. <laughs> you know, I think he played three, didn't he play three at the weekend? In the, against yeah, Catafoli. So. Yeah, so, I understand it. Hmm. just don't know, really. Just don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll remain to... That's we'll what we remain, love him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the new beard, of course, as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It all remains to be seen. Um, meantime, some of the guys we have put out, there's been quite a few have gone out. We've obviously released a number of players, or they've, or they've gone on on fees, Chahambach, Prupa, uh, amongst um, many of the others. Um, but some of the people have gone out on loan, some of the young talent. Um, they've been doing OK, haven't they? Scotland. And um, we had well, um, two players, actually. Teddy Jenks, he played the full 90 minutes and scored the equaliser for Aberdeen. Uh, as they went on to grab yeah. all three points against Livingston away from home. Alex Cochran, left back for um, uh, for the Albion, has also now played the full 90 minutes for Hearts in their away win at St Mirren. Um, and the now ex-Seagull, Victor Gjokeres, by the way, scored an equaliser um, as they prevailed at home to Forest at the weekend for what it's mm. worth as well. Um, so, you know, they're, they're getting off some good starts there. They're obviously getting the game time. That's what we want. And in the case of Jenks, a good equaliser as well by ball accounts. I haven't seen it, but um, it well taken goal. So that's encouraging. Um, other news, just quickly, unless you've got any comments on the young players, actually. Is I just thought it was a bit ironic that we got this special relationship with Hibbs and the two players are at Hearts and um, Aberdeen. I think one of them was in the team that beat Celtic first game of the season as well. I just can't remember yes. now if it was Aberdeen or Hearts, but yeah. Yeah, so it's a good start for them. Yes, that's right. That was, um, was that Jensen Weir, I think, is out on loan, isn't he, as well? Is that right? I'm going, I've gone blank now, I think. I can't remember now. But anyway, yes, I'm sure sure listeners will tell us. A um, few bits of other Albion news. Um, Albion have been drawn away to Cardiff, who managed to see off new boys Sutton in the first round. Uh, we're away to Cardiff in the second round of the League Cup. I've already had a request from a mate of mine who's a Cardiff fan to, to come on the uh, podcast in the run-up to that game, which he's welcome to do. Um, he reckons that... Um, well, well, I said disclaiming, um, we've put a weakened team out and you might have a chance, but he said they'll probably put one out as well. So maybe that gives us the, the, the odd team. He doesn't think they'll get through, but uh, we'll see. Um, games have been changed for TV. I mean, the, the schedule at the moment, we've got Burnley at three o'clock Saturday kickoff, which is great. Watford, of course, is the first TV game, 5.30 next Saturday down in Brighton, which I will be going to. Um, we've then got that League Cup match and then... The 28th of August, the bank holiday weekend, we're at home to Everton. Those games are still as planned. Uh, Brentford on the 11th uh, away, 11th of September, is also as planned. 
Um, but the Leicester home game is Sunday the 19th of September. Palace is now moved to Monday the 27th of September. That's the away game, 8 o'clock kickoff Monday night. Um, the new announced games where, where fixtures have been changed are the home match with Arsenal is now on Saturday the 2nd at 5.30 instead of 3. Um, and after we go to Norwich, the Saturday 23rd home game of, in October uh, against Man City has also now been put back to 5.30. So for anyone that doesn't already know, those are the changes. Um, any other Albion news you've heard of, Andy, this last few days? I think we've pretty much covered it all. I think there's not yeah, a great I mean, deal, I, is there? Just, just, well, I mean, you, you're much better on the uh, fringe players than I am, but um, we get some good reports about Roberts and that actually um, mm. you know, he's in and around the squad and there's talk about he might play at Cardiff next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know. Oh, yes, Ostergaard. I forgot to mention Ostergaard. He's uh, signed a new deal. Um it seems to be a new one-year deal, which I presume, if that means from now, means it must be um, just a year. We already had a year deal anyway, so this must be a year deal with a year's option is the difference, I'm guessing. They haven't been very clear with their announcement. But anyway, he signed a new deal, and he's probably now gone on loan for the season to Stoke. So it must have an option, otherwise it, <laughs> there's no point signing it, is there, basically? Um, but that's, um, that's one other bit of news um, it just yeah. reminded me of. Still a bit um, queer about Percy Tell, whether what he's going to do. Yeah, but I do think what you said about Hayden Roberts, given that Ostergaard's now gone out, given Burns injured, you know, he's moving up the, uh, the equation here and he's not gone on loan anywhere. So, yeah, maybe he's going to figure in the short term, at least, yeah. as a backup, at the least. Or, or, yeah. they're, or they're thinking that they'll give him the Cardiff game and then maybe go out on loan after that. But, um, yeah. yeah, possibly. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is that. Um, I think, okay. Sorry, well, the other one I was going to say was um, uh, they were a bit surprised when that was the is the winger is is it K- K- Kadir? Oh, Reader Kadra. Yeah. Kadra. Yeah. Yeah. Some were a bit surprised yeah, that he went out on loan. That they thought he might stay. Or oh, actually, he hasn't gone yet, has he? He's just been held off. No, he's he's supposed to be. Yeah, because he was supposed to be going to Blackburn. I think it's a season-long deal they were proposing, yeah. um, but apparently he's got an, a, an injury, I think a minor injury, oh. so that's probably oh. what's held that up. Yeah, yeah. yeah so there we go. Right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back in part two, uh, we will uh, just reflect on the Amex at 50, uh, come up with a bit more football news and review the Burnley game, including speaking to Burnley sports writer Alex James. That's all coming up in part two. So, yeah, back um, with us then for part two of this episode. Now, steering our attentions very briefly, first of all, to the football news in general. There's been quite a few major transfers have been going on, even though we haven't had any. Um, It's, um, well, Grealish to City, I think we may have touched on in the last episode, was confirmed. If we didn't, well, it's confirmed. Um, He's gone for a hundred million bargain deal, six-year deal which does mean it's amortised over six years, 16.6 mil. So it's quite affordable, actually, in a very, very expensive kind of way for for City, no doubt. Um, Good signing for them. It just embellishes what's already a pretty strong um, lineup for those guys. Um, Harry Kane still in limbo. We still don't know what's going to happen with him. Messi is in tears um, because he's finally left Barcelona and then got on to join PSG. Um, And... um, yeah, I mean, essentially, they couldn't afford to sign him, which is a crazy situation, isn't it, really? But uh, um, 
very badly managed over a number of years. Laporta, the um, president at Barca, has said that it's been mismanaged for a number of years. The signings of Coutinho and people like that, you could see how badly things are being run. They paid way, way over the odds. A uh, long deal. Then he, they wanted to get rid of him quite soon and couldn't do. Other signings they've made have been poor choices on very, um, well, very bloated wages and and fees. Um, it's not a surprise they've got themselves into this state. And I don't think even under Laporta they've done particularly great because um, they've still brought in three or four players knowing the situation or they should be knowing the situation that's coming up. So a bit of a mess on that regard. Um, and the other big one, of course, is Lukaku. Not completely confirmed as we record this, but he's very, very close to signing a £97.5 million transfer fee um, deal uh, to rejoin Chelsea. The latest in a line of players who left Chelsea, went and made their mark, and then in some cases got bought back by the very same club for a massive fee. Um, De Bruyne was uh, one of the players that, uh, that slipped through the net. David Luiz, apparently, in the old days. Tariq Lamptey, of course. Uh, Mohamed Salah, Lukaku. Um, many more besides have gone out of my head at the moment. Um, they're not very really good at hanging on to them, are they? <laughs> but, you know, they're developing some good players, it has to be said. Lukaku, he's, he's, a, he's an absolute beast. He really is, isn't he? He's a, he's a strong guy. He's got all of the attributes you need. He almost doesn't quite look convincing, but then he is actually very, very good. And he's had an excellent season or two in Inter recently, hasn't he? And uh, he's come back to the Premier League, bar of the shouting. So um, what do you make of that little lot? Anything to, to mention in regard to Lukaku, Messi, Kane, Grealish or anyone else? I think uh, in terms of Lukaku, people feel that he's developed his game over the last couple of years at Inter. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see what what he brings to to Chelsea and whether even now there's somebody that if he comes if they get him over the line whether somebody someone moves on. Um, I think well I, I've always been a great fan of Grealish. I know it's sometimes it's hard to to like him when he's diving you know trying to get penalties off your own team, but he's one of the few players that we've developed that that really runs at play, players and takes them on you know in the Paul Gascoigne type mould. I think he needed to move because I think this is the move that's probably going to give him the best chance of cementing his place in the England team. And I think he's, you know, what is he? He's not that old. Is he about 24? I think he's about yeah, 24. Think, yeah, so 100, grand, 100 million at 24. I think I think that's a bit of a bargain, really. I mean, it's not like he, it's not like he hasn't done it in the Premiership. And I wouldn't be surprised if 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 a forward moves to if. if if Spurs can get themselves a you know a, a decent forward, then I wouldn't be surprised if Kane goes as well. Probably for yeah, they're after um, million. They're after Martinez, aren't they? He's a, he's a big signing if they get him. Um, I think it's again it's this balancing act, isn't it? Getting the deals in place at the same time and then making the moves. Um, yeah, I think Kane really needs to move on as well. I think it's the right time for both those players, isn't it? Um, so I th- no, no real objections to that I think good moves all around do you think Grealish has become more popular for his England involvement albeit not as much as people might have liked actually uh, well, probably probably, uh, probably not with me but because um, he was already really <laughs> popular I think I think others I think he's one of those who just sort of you have to give him the begrudging nod really he does things that yeah. other players can't do even there is something old fashioned isn't there about him not just his socks around his ankles but Almost, the, as you said, the way he takes on players, it's yeah. got an old-fashioned element to it. George yeah, Best, you know, and, and, and I think you, you've got to, you've got to wish. I mean, I'm always not leaving my team, but you've got to wish the kid 
well, really. I mean, I, I don't think he needs to do any more to prove that Villa was his club and that, but football's his career. And he probably, you know, yes, he will earn more money and that does matter. But actually, I think it matters as much that he's got a chance of winning some trophies and, you know, and just establish himself as a top England international. Yeah, he said, I just want to win as many trophies as possible now from yeah, this well, point. I think it's legacy, isn't it? I mean, you know, I know people go on about the money and, and, and you know, I can't, no one's going to say it doesn't matter, but there comes a point when how much money do you need? Hmm. And then you probably are looking at things like your legacy and, you know, what people are going to remember you for. That's the same with Kane, isn't it? It's exactly why he wants to move on. He's perfectly happy at Tottenham in general, but it's just the fact that uh, he's not going to win the trophies. So very few, if any. Yeah, it's just with him, though, it's whether Le- Levy's going to get in the way, you know. Yeah, this is to Harry probably will. The other day, he just says that Levy's really stubborn. If you don't want to do it, he won't do it. So, you know, but then you just think to yourself, well, why did Kane sign a five-year contract? Why didn't he sign a two- or three-year contract? Then he'd be putting the club under a lot more pressure. You know, he's kind of, um, yeah, in some ways, he maybe hasn't helped himself, but we'll, mm. we'll see. And then, obviously... You look at, um, I mean, who's in terms of Tottenham? I was talking to someone the other day. Who's the biggest winner at Tottenham? I think actually it's Pochettino. He gets booted out of them. He goes to PSG and look at him now. I mean, look at his full line. <laughs> you know, I can't believe he's luck. He's doing, <laughs> doing all right, isn't he? I mean, it's kind of like given that he'll probably, I mean, I know they didn't win the the, um, the league um, this year, did they? The league on, they didn't mm. win, but um, they're bound to win it next year. So that's a given, and I'm giving his best chance. Yeah, I imagine of um, winning the uh, Champions League. Yeah, I mean, speaking speaking of PSG, I mean, Messi was in tears at Barcelona press conference. There's a lot of talk. There's a whole thing over the whole week, wasn't there, about it? Eventually, a very tearful conference, but to a quite small audience of uh, press and family and people. Um, he genuinely, you can see it was genuinely heartfelt. He really would have liked to have stayed for the whole of his career, even though he was talking about moving last year. I think he he decided actually he'd gone past that stage and he decided. He'd like to see out his career with Barca. And it's not been possible because even though he offered that we agreed to uh, halving his wages um, from whatever he was on then, um, yeah, it's just not feasible under La Liga rules. They simply can't allow him in unless, because it's 110% of earnings of going on wages, which is insane as bankruptcy levels. Um, They'd have to actually get rid of someone else before they could let him sign. Apparently, according to Gideon Balagay, um, if they'd have got him onto a new contract sooner, he would have already been in the system. It would have been okay. But because he's technically an out-of-contract player at this stage, they can't sign him because they're on 110%. If yeah. they already had him signed, then they would be able to offload other players over the rest of this summer, and it would have been a lot less stressful for them. And I thought I heard as well that he couldn't, um, he couldn't offer a cut, a cut of more than 50%, apparently. There was something in the rules about that as well. So uh, what I mean, yes, the, that's that right. Was on Radio well. Five, and they were they were yeah. like being quite clear that it wasn't his fault. Yeah, it's not just simply a case of. Like, yeah, it's not a case of. Even if we wanted to play for free, he couldn't. He literally couldn't have done. They wouldn't have let him no. sign the deal. He wouldn't be able no. to be registered. And to cap it all, Aguero's out for ten weeks now. Who who's only signed for Barca because Messi was there supposedly, <laughs> um, and he's not going to be available anyway for ten weeks. Utter disaster for I them. Mean, that, I'll tell you get, another disaster. Yeah. The Half and half and half shorts that they've got for this season. What a shambles! <laughs> Have you seen them? No, no I haven't Dreadful. seen those yet. No. 
No, Probably for the best. Yeah. Okay. I was just, just going back domestically as well. well. I'm just thinking if Kane does go to Man City, you've got Man City and then Chelsea have spent all this money. You know, I, I kind of wonder what Liverpool fans are thinking at the moment, whether they think, I know they're getting some players back from injury. Do they think that they're good enough to, to win the league with those players or they feeling a little bit um, nose out of joint? Because Wijnaldum, yeah. I'm sure they can replace him easily. And he's gone off to PSG as well. Another win for Poch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they've had a brilliant win, though, haven't they, PSG? Um, mm. Even with Messi on a million a, a week, it's still, it's, it's still quids in. Yeah, I don't think they've spent any money. All the other deal, deals. The Ramos and Donnarumma have come on freeze as well. Yeah, I don't think they've spent any money on transfer fees. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Donnarumma few... alone is, that's a brilliant deal on its own. Spent a few euros on um, on wages. Yeah, indeed, there is that. <laughs> but um, I, I think PSG will finally win the Champions League this year. I think it was bound to happen sooner or later, and that's just tipped the balance for me. But there we go. Um, well, back to more uh, more pressing matters. Bernie at the weekend. We're going to do our preview now on Bernie, um, starting by speaking with Alex James. Um, who I caught up with earlier today. Uh, he's from Lanx Live. He's the sports writer for them. So here is that interview. So now I'm joined by Alex James, who's football writer for Lancashire Live, Lanx Live, I think uh, to abbreviate it properly. Um, hello, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Yeah, thanks for having us. And yes, it is it is Lanx Live. You wouldn't believe the number of people who get that wrong, even within our own uh, our own group. So uh, thanks for uh, <laughs> abbreviating it correctly. No problem at all. Excellent. Well, I, I think you're probably the first representation we've had on from Burnley. Actually, we've we're about to go into our fifth year in the Prem. Uh, you're about to go into your sixth year in the Prem in consecutive uh, uh, process, anyway. And um, yeah, you just beat us to promotion that year beforehand, um, which was uh, good for you guys, uh, agonising for us. But um, anyway, yeah, going into a sixth year, you've been defying the odds through the years, haven't you? Um, everyone always writes you guys off. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, the, the Burnley have had two um, two top half finishes in the last four seasons, and it uh, apart from the European campaign, which did generate a little bit of sort of interest from from outside, it, it's almost slipped under the radar that those two seasons existed really um but going into this one i don't think there's any sort of delusions of grandeur or anything like that it'll be get to 40 points as quickly as possible and um and try and ensure um ensure survival first and, and build from there yeah um it's it's an interesting town in the sense that um not a massive size town but it's got probably i think that's I read somewhere that the most partisan essentially the most partisan following the most people per head of population actually follow the local team um than anywhere else in the country i think i'm um, certainly in any level of scale anyway yeah I'll, I'll trust you on that stat but it's certainly um it's obviously a one town a one club town rather mm. and you don't what what you don't get in bernie that sometimes you get elsewhere is you don't tend to see a lot of man united liverpool yeah. Man city you don't see many replica kits that isn't bernie everybody in bernie supports Burnley um, and that's it'll be a very special occasion for plenty I know they've had one Premier League game in with limited numbers with supporters in and one pre-season friendly with supporters in but Saturday will be the first time in 18 months or so that um, a lot of people will have been back to Turf Moor and obviously Turf Moor will be somewhere close to capacity if, if not sold out. 
Yeah. How many did you have in for the, because you had one game, didn't you? Same as us for end of last season. How, how many did you have for that one? Was that just a couple of thousand or something? Three and a half thousand, I think, there yeah. or thereabouts. So, and, and even that, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go and cover the games in the grounds over the last 18 months, but even that made an unbelievable difference just to the atmosphere and the occasion. So, I think most of us will have forgotten what what a capacity crowd are like to be, especially <laughs> especially as in the media have sort of sat there and can eavesdrop on the managers a bit more now that um, when there's been yeah. no fans in there. But all that will go, and you'll be back to uh, back to getting the opinions of um, of twenty thousand Burnley fans. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I mean, it's going to be interesting down at the Amex as well. The following week when we start up, I'm, it's it's really hard to tell how many people are going to have the take up because there's obviously people that will have to still feel they want a shield just to be on the safe side, even if they've had the jabs. Um, other people that just will feel reticent about being in crowds again for a while, getting back used to it. I suppose there's always going to be some kind of drop off. So who knows if we'll have, any of us will get sellouts, actually. Who who knows? Yeah, yeah I, I must admit, I don't know what the what the sort of um, thoughts are on whether it will be sold out. I just, mm. I just from what I hear, there's a lot of people who are coming back to, to Burnley on Saturday and, and who absolutely can't wait. So I would be... And obviously, Burnley isn't, you know, it's not a 50,000 stadium. It's, you're only looking at 20,000 anyway. So um, I'd be surprised if it wasn't 80% plus full on Saturday. Yeah. Well, Alex, before we go into um, just previewing the season and, and the game on Saturday, um, just a quick word about yourself. So I've described you as football writer for Lanks Live. Could you expand a bit more? Are you a Burnley fan originally? I'm guessing you are. But um, could you tell us a bit more about yourself? The listeners, yeah, you would be guessing wrong. I'm not a Burnley fan, I'm not oh. from Burnley um, originally, and I don't live in Burnley, but other than that, <laughs> um, so I've been covering, uh, been covering Burnley for well, since Lang's Live Inception, which was 2019, um, the start yeah. of 2019. But previously, I worked on one of the local papers here, so I know the club, um, know the club reasonably well, and have covered it in, in some way, shape, or form for nine years now almost so I'm well versed in, in what's gone on in, in Burnley and what's going on in Burnley but um, I'm a Tranmere fan um, oh. that's, that's my club uh, for my sins um, and at the moment I don't have to worry about the, the team I support and the team I cover coming face to face in the league so that's, a, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it's always helpful converted. Um, <laughs> so yeah and then my, my role at Langs Live is, is specifically Burnley so my day to day job is to to get the ins and outs and, and what I can from um, from Turf Moor. So you've added to the um, the, the list of uh, famous Tranmere fans, Mike Dean, of course, and Mark Palios, who obviously is the owner of, of the club, but also a fan as well, isn't he, of Tranmere originally? Yeah, so um, yeah. they're in Steam's company there. <laughs> I, I see Mike Dean's been doing um, assistant refereeing. Um, uh, as a fourth official at one of our pre yeah. games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite quite amusing. Um, maybe just very quickly while we're on Tranmere, just your thoughts for them for the season. Might as well ask you while you've while I've got you on for that. Um, I'm optimistic now. Mickey Mellon's come back. Um, he's yeah, got great, he's got a great affinity with with the club um, and and the place and the area. Uh, so uh, we we faded badly last season, and Keith Hill I don't think ever quite captured the essence of what it was like to be a Tranmere manager and, and didn't really strike the right chord um we were lucky to make the playoffs we had a, an absolute shocking end to the season the last 10 or 15 games we sort of stumbled in in seventh place and then lost to Morecambe um but hopefully top seven again I don't see why not it's, it's a reasonably open league and there's a few clubs spending a bit of money in there but 
I'd like to think we can be uh, we can be in and amongst it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck to Tranny season. I hope they do well. They, well, they got ripped off a little bit, didn't they, with the the way the previous season had been curtailed as well. It all voided. It wasn't yeah, we were, uh, in your we were a bit uh, to your benefit. Back. Yeah, so I do feel for them. I do feel they deserve to go back for that reason alone, if if no other. But um, anyway, steering it back to the weekend. So the, obviously the the EFL's already started. The Premier League starts this weekend. Albion have got their game at Burnley on Saturday, three o'clock kickoff traditional time. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if it's yeah, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's going to be a traditional result as well. We had a lot of draws with Burnley in the top flight, or in, in general, in fact. Um, and with neither side seems to be able to get the better of the other. Um, I've got to say my views on this one going into it are I've got a horrible feeling this is going to be a bore draw in, in all senses. Um, we're struggling for goals last season. We haven't really addressed the striking end of our, our situation yet. Um, certain players we have got may come into better form. But apart from that, we're not sure where the goals are going to come from too much. Um, how's it looking for Bernie? Because looking at um, what they've said, Alan Pace, who's of course the chairman now, has said they're in active discussions with multiple players, according to your site, actually. Um, and you have signed, I think, is it six players uh, at Burnley there? Nathan Collins, Stoke, Mark Helm, United, um, Jacob Badeau from Scunny, Harry Williams on a free transfer, Wayne Hennessy from <clears throat> that lot in South London we don't like to mention in Brighton circles, and, um, and Ethan Vaughan. Um, can you tell us anything about any of those? What, uh, and are, are there any more signings since that article to add to the um, list? No, but most the majority of those, there's only two of those who are first team squad. Oh, right. signing. The rest yeah. of them have, have gone into the academy. So it's only Wayne Hennessy um, from the club mm. that won't be named and Nathan Collins, <laughs> who will be in the, um, in the match day squad on Saturday. Uh, neither of whom I wouldn't have thought will start. Nick Pope, um, who missed the Euros because he underwent knee surgery in May, he's fit and he's available, so he will he will start ahead of ahead of Hennessy and uh, Nathan Collins is behind James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee in the centre back um, mm. ranks. So he he's more one for the future. I think he's only twenty. Looks a really good player. I've not seen too much of him, but everything mm. I hear says that he's he's tipped for a really um, a really good future. So I would hope there are more signings. They've only got two wingers at the moment. Um in Dwight McNeil and, and Johan Bird Goodmundson and uh Goodmundson is very injury prone. He's missed a lot of matches over the last two years. Um mm. so fingers crossed he has a bit more uh, a bit more luck but we were speaking to Sean Dyche earlier and he's he's desperate to add there. It's it's obvious that's where they need to to find a couple of players, you could make an argument for mm. other areas of the pitch, but wide midfield is where where Burnley are desperately short. And last season, they had a lot of injuries in general, um, and the squad depth was it, it sort of showed that it wasn't there, and that hasn't really been addressed as yet. Um, mm. So hopefully, there are more to come. Yeah, looking at the transfers, I mean, year by year, actually, we talked about Burnley always being a side a lot right off and think are going to go down at some point or other. And actually, when you look at the transfers, there's a consistency with that in terms of you never see anything really stand out, but they always seem to make sensible signings that fit the system very much the Sean Dyche way, isn't it? Like for like. Um, not very many standout signings, and yet they always seem to get by. And um, I'm wondering, you said you, you had a press conference, didn't you, with Sean Dyche today. Um, what's the general vibe? Could you glean anything from his his mood as to how hopefully he is for well for this weekend and for the season in general? Yeah, I think w with with Sean Dyche, he's got huge faith and trust in 
in that group that he has had together for a long time. And and if you look at their sort of one to eleven of core first eleven players, um, mm. you know, it's got a good spine. It's got Chris Wood who's scored ten goals in each of the last four seasons, which is a good starting point. And you mentioned that that's something where where Brighton might be looking to improve a little bit. Dwight McNeil is somebody you can create. Um, mm. James Tarkovsky, Ben Mee and Nick Pope are a great defensive yeah. base. So the spine of 1-11 to 11 is okay. And if Burnley kept all those players fit all season, I, I wouldn't have any concerns about them being in the bottom three because they've been there mm. and done it and they've got a manager who is um, who is an expert at getting the best out of that group. It's just if a couple of injuries to a couple of key players, particularly if it was a Dwight McNeil and there's no at the moment there's no ready-made replacement there, um, it would be a square peg in a round hole that's where things might catch up to them. And I do think that the three teams who have come up this season are probably going to be stronger than the three that came up last season. Um, so there's work to be done for um, for Burnley in the transfer market, certainly. But you, Sean Dyche is pretty, he's pretty level-headed and he's pretty... It, it, sometimes you'd probably struggle to know whether they'd won or lost when you're speaking to him after a game because he doesn't get too carried away either way which doesn't always make for great copy for the likes of us but um <laughs> it's, it's probably the best way to be you've always got the looky likey uh, press conferences to to look forward to haven't you? <laughs> that was brilliant did you do anything amusing today by any chance <laughs> uh do you know what he did open with a looky likey i can't think who he said <laughs> it was brilliant. Whether, somebody, whether somebody from sky looked like gary Bertels from um former Forest, but I must admit, I wouldn't know what he, Gary Bertels looked like, so it, it went over my head, but um, then, we, then we got into the real stuff, or the boring stuff, as he calls it. Oh, fantastic. Well, we've got the game of the weekend, um, obviously a big one for both sides, getting underway, you want to start in the right way, and for both sides, they'll be looking to get the points in this game, won't they? It's one you, you're looking to get your points in these sort of games for both sides. Um how do you see, see it going? I mean, I've said I reckon a ball draw. What do you reckon? Something similar, or do you reckon Burnley can take the odds? I think. You, I mean, I think it's something like eight draws in eleven mm. between Burnley and Brighton. Something along those lines. So I think both games were draws last season as well. So yeah, yeah. I can I can fully appreciate why everybody might see this as and <laughs> two teams who traditionally haven't been free scorers either. So I can fully see people marking this as nil-nil and last on match of the day on Saturday. Um, I think from Burnley's point of view, it's a it's quite a big game because their start to the season has got some pretty testing fixtures. For, I think it's six of the first eight against teams who oh, right. the top half last season. Um, hmm. They've got Liverpool, Leeds, Everton, Arsenal, Leicester and Man City to come in the sort of between now um, between now and mid-October. So it as you were saying, it's one that you would like to get your points in. And Burnley had an absolutely terrible start last last season. I think the draw at Brighton might have been their second point in, in game seven or, or eight. Yes, yeah. So they can't really afford to do that again because it left them playing catch-up and, and they were perhaps saved by the fact that three teams didn't even get to 30 points rather than them sort of hauling themselves clear themselves. So it is a big game for Burnley. I, do, I just wonder whether the sort of... Um, the crowd, the first game of the season, and, and sometimes Burnley at their best when the backs are against the wall and, and there's a very strong feeling here that the squad isn't um, deep enough and not perhaps not enough has been done in the transfer window so far. Obviously, there's still a couple of weeks to go. Um, I just wonder whether Burnley might 
turn around and, and grind out a result and start with three points and suddenly everybody yeah, feels a little bit better about life. Yeah, yeah. Well, we wait to see. Um, one thing I've got to mention, actually, before you go, actually, Alex, is obviously there's been um, a lot of criticism of Burnley fans through the years in, in terms of sort of elements to do with bigotry and kind of certain opinions. And I must admit, I've been critical as well. Didn't enjoy my visit there. Um, decided not to go back again, to be honest, unless it was a very crucial match or something like that. Um, other fans have had similar experiences that it's not necessarily the most welcoming of places. Um Obviously, we've had the thing with the banner, with the plane, the, the, the White Lives Matter, um, and various other things have gone on as well. How do you see it in terms of the fact that the Premier League have said they're going to be doing the, uh, the taking the knee again this, this year? And obviously, fans coming back really in earnest for the first time on this, this, this weekend. Um, how do you see it panning out? Do you think there's any likelihood of uh, any controversy in that regard? And what's your overall opinion of the Burnley fans as an outsider reporting on them I'm curious to know your views because you see them a lot more than obviously that we do yeah I mean I can only speak speak as I find and 99.9% hmm. of the time I, I've never had any issues with with any supporters at, at Burnley hmm. in the stadium on social media around the stadium etc obviously the the banner um, I'm not even sure you can call the people who opted to fly that at the Etihad Burnley fans um, no. and it was widely condemned by the vast majority mm. of of people I've spoken to and, and yeah, I think me, me, and me yeah. on the pitch mm. afterwards gave a really it was a really good interview um, yeah. it was something that he and he's a great he's actually he's a great advert for Burnley because he's been here a long time and he he gets he, he just gets it and I think he came out and said he was ashamed and embarrassed and he actually collared Sky and said I want to talk about this um, mm. and I want to get this clear um, so, yeah, I mean, you're always going to get a couple of idiots. I, I dare say every football club has. Mm. Um, well, I, almost certainly every football club has. There may well be, I don't know, there may well be the odd boo for taking of the knee on, on Saturday. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I, it, it certainly won't be, uh, won't be encouraged. And I think most people understand why it's been done, even if they don't necessarily agree with the message. Um, so hopefully everything hmm. will, will pass off smoothly and, it, and we'll be talking about the football and, and not anything else Hopefully so, yeah yeah. I know another connection with Brian was the J. Rodriguez incident when he was playing for West Brom and then um, obviously subsequently went back to uh, to Burnley and I think there was a lot of um, very vociferous support for him when he was playing for Burnley at the Amex uh, last time there were fans so a couple of years ago um, and I know that sort of agitated a lot of people as well but uh, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. Jay Rod- can, I, know, I know Jay Rodriguez, re- well, I say reasonably well, as well as perhaps mm-hmm. I can know a Premier League footballer. And I've always found him to be a, a lovely lad, um, very, mm-hmm. very well-mannered, very politely spoken, uh, always got time for people. Um, obviously, he's going to be a, a bit of a Burnley hero because he's from Burnley, he's come through the ranks at Burnley and he's been away and come back to Burnley. So mm-hmm. he, he's going to be one of the supporters' favourites and, and he always will be, but... Yeah, him and his family, uh, he's from great stock. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I've never had, yeah. I've got nothing but good things to say about Jay. <laughs> fair play, fair enough. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you meet good and bad fans wherever you go. That's the other thing to say. I mean, I said I've only had one visit there and can only speak for that. Wasn't wasn't great. But um, I've met Burnley fans elsewhere um, in London, where I live, and um, and elsewhere down at the Albion as well. And they've seemed, seemed fine. So, 
yeah, there's no reason to say um, others won't be. But um, yeah, let's hope anyway it'll, it'll go off okay in that regard. Um, and yeah, so overall, your prediction then for the season quickly for let's say for Burnley and for Tranmere actually, um, what are you going, what are you going to go with? Do you think? Are they going to survive Burnley, first of all? Oh, yeah, do Tramir first. Tramir out of the way first. Cause I, I'm loath to predict, I, I don't know about you, but I'm always loath to predict success for my own team. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> very much so, yeah. Um, I'd like to think they can finish in the top seven, but I'll I'll just predict something like eighth with a record points tally not to make the top seven or something like that, or miss out on the last day or some sort of drama like that. That's so, a classic football fan answer, that one, I think. Yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> we'll be, exactly. we'll be on fairly unlucky. Uh, yeah, <laughs> always seems to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, as, as for Burnley, um, when if they don't add anybody else between now and the end of the window and they go in with what they've got, I think it's going to be a long, hard slog. I do think either way they'll stay up because I just think Dyche is adept at doing that. And as I mentioned mm. before, the the sort of core squad or the core 11 is more than capable of, um, of finishing mid-table in the Premier League. So I do think they'll have enough. I think there's probably a few question marks around a couple of other sides as well as to how, you know, how might Crystal Palace get mm. on, how a Wolves yeah. going to be with a, a manager who's, who's got no Premier League experience. And then you would expect the three clubs who have come up albeit I said they were going to be stronger than last season, you'd still expect them all to finish in the bottom seven or eight. So, plus yeah. like Newcastle, and there's a few teams in there, and, mm. and probably Brighton as, as well. Yeah, who, yeah. Until we're not, we are. Well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, who, and who Southampton probably as well, so yeah. potentially. Yeah. Who Burnley will fancy finishing ahead of, and it's just going to be a case mm. of turning... Um, Burnley had a, a pretty poor home record last season, which has been unlike them in the Premier League. So, they can turn mm. that round just a little bit and turn a, a couple of poor performances into into draws and wins. I, I do think they'll have enough. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Alex, for joining us. Um, good luck for for them and for Tramir for the season, except of course as related to Brighton uh, for Burnley. Um, and uh, maybe perhaps we'll catch up later in the season when we have the return fixture. Yeah. No problem at all. Thanks for having us. So Alex James there from Lanx Live. Um, yeah, interesting thoughts there, Andy. I mean, so essentially he's saying, in summary, they think, um, or he thinks, they've got a limited squad. The first 11 they'll be happy with, the spines there. They'll hopefully be, from their point of view, be less unlucky with injuries. But they do lack depth. And tying in with what you were saying about um, never seeming to sign any remarkable players, not particularly players anyone wants, the only two first teamers they've signed there are Wayne Hennessy, who Palace didn't want and released on a free, who's the Wales international goalie, but was Palace's number two, effectively. And um, Nathan Collins, who's a young up-and-comer, who's for the first team, uh, signed from Stoke, um, but untried. So, yeah, I mean, it really does look like a, a same old, same old for Burnley. Whether the same old, same old will include their position in the table or not, um, we'll wait and see. He sounded like he wasn't sure. Um You've already mentioned that you think they're one of the teams that we should finish above or could finish above and hopefully will. Um, any further thoughts on the game coming up at the weekend, assuming we don't make any signings eligible to, to play for Saturday in time? Um, do you reckon we can get the points? Well, let's face it, even if we make any signings, they won't be in the team, will they? He never, he never put them straight in the team. Um, That's true. Yeah, I think we could go there and we could win, or alternatively, we could easily go there and lose. So it probably will be a draw, like it usually is, um, and we'll be none the wiser, but probably walking away thinking maybe we should have, we should have, um, we should have done better. Um, yeah. 
The only question for me is nil nil or one one. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, nil nil. <laughs> I'm going nil nil as well. <laughs> yeah, go on, you you can say. Yeah, and I was now. just going to say, um, be interesting to see. We were talking what about Potter, whether he's going to play um, four at the back or you know two centre halves and play four or play three and play a diamond. So you know it's a new yeah. season. Let's all be optimistic. Let's go for a win. Um, and let's see. But like I said about Burnley, they on paper you think well this is the year they're going to go down. And every year the manager pulls something out of the um, out of the hat and. And they, they, you know, they stay up usually with with a little bit to spare. Um, yeah. Whether this will be the year that that changes, I, I don't know. Um, but he must be getting the manager must be getting fed up with, you know, not being backed in the market for players. Mm. You know, I'm sure yep. finances are difficult for them, but um, you know, he can only do so much, can't he? Yeah. And I mean, the head-to-head record, by the way, just for what it's worth, uh, now stands at. 11 wins, 11 losses, and 15 draws. So we're completely even on our past record, including, I think, well, we drew both games last year. We did get one of the wins and drew the other the year before. So we've got the edge a little bit, but not by much. Um, and, um, yeah, let's hope for a bonus win. Incidentally, while I was looking on the head-to-head record, I noticed our overall head-to-head record against all teams in our history uh, is quite positive. Apparently, we've won... 1,837 games, we've drawn 1,213, and we've lost 1,684. So the highest of the three categories is wins, which is interesting. Um, all those years in Division 3 South, I'd imagine. <laughs> well, it's a bit there of a surprise because we we've just spent quite a few years just going downwards, didn't we? Let's face it. <laughs> yeah, seems so, definitely. And okay, certainly well, being in the Premiership doesn't help our win rate. <laughs> No, definitely not. Um, so finally then, Andy, um, quick reflections on the, what I mentioned at the top of the show. Ten years at the Amex. Uh, I mean, we, we we moved in there in the summer of um, of, of ten years ago in, in um, 20, 2011, as I'll call it. Um, the first, we had a couple of games. We had ramp-up events, didn't we? Sussex Senior Cup and the Tottenham Friendly, where we lost 3-2. I think Gary Hart scored the first goal in that one, um, I think. He's a Tottenham fan as well. Um but the first competitive game was August the 6th. Um, Thursday last week, we celebrated 10 years of the anniversary of that date, which was the men's senior league match um, in, the, in the new division we'd just gone up into with Gus Poyet, the championship. Don, Doncaster, not the greatest of days physically, weather-wise. It was overcast. Um, it didn't start well. Billy Sharp got the first goal at the Amex in a competitive league game. But it wasn't the um, the last one of the day because Will Buckley came storming back. There was that pass from noon, wasn't there? Fantastic event, fantastic festival of football uh, fandom, really, wasn't it, that first day? And we've had a number of magnificent days at the Amex since. What are your reflections on the first year? Uh, first, Sorry, first decade at the Amex? I think, um, first and foremost, it's about having a home again. You know, hmm. I mean, I remember even when we got beat, our first defeat was against Palace. I remember even walking away from that and looking back and thinking, well, you know what? At least we've got a home. We've got someone to play football after being in the wilderness for so long. And, you know, and, and you know, I know with Dean was a successful period of time, but it was it was never ever wanted to watch Brighton play football. Yeah. At least not I didn't anyway. I thought it was quite ironic as well. Like we're kind of bookend, bookend, taught me, between the goals that was Doncaster was the last game. And then the yes. first game at the um, at the Amex. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 
it, it had to end in a win and it did and um you know and it got us off to a good start 2011 was a big year for me because that's when I became a dad for the first time so um oh. my son Luke he'd, he he actually turned up at the um at the Amex for the for the Blackpool game at the end of the month which I think ended up two all so so he 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 made an early uh, an early appearance there um I mean, just really thankful for the for the chairman as well, spending quite a lot of extra money on it to make, you know, just to reward us, I think. And um, and you do feel that, you know, you go to some of, the, some of these grounds, even you go to places like Anfield and, you know, Upton Park and, and the old White Hart Lane, used to go to those grounds afterwards and kind of almost turn my nose up, really, that it just wasn't wasn't as good as our ground anymore because of the way stadium designer change they might have the atmosphere and the and they might have the kind of the history but actually in terms of the quality of the ground um mm. you know um i'm not i'm not sure it was worth waiting quite as long as we had to because i think we had to wait far too long but in the end we got it and um yeah i just i just love the fact it's um it's home yeah and I as, love, I love as the you fact say that... we're creating memories as we as yeah, we go yeah. along and I do think the fact that Tony's a fan is is one of the reasons why he wanted to push that extra mile to get the you know the higher spec of stadium than was perhaps necessary um, to really treat the fans for that length of time that that uh, that planning application and and the whole story behind it um, ended up unfolding over too long a period of time, wasn't it? I mean, look, um, another thing I like is that just little hmm. things like the catering. You know, the fact that like you know Harvey's and um, Piglet's Pantries are like local companies. Yes. You know, and, they are, and they're providing the beer and the food, whereas, you know, it'd be just as easy to have signed up some nondescript deal with, you know, I don't know, Heineken, Carlsberg, other beers, other pissy lagers are available. Um, you know, and I, and I think that showed that they, A, they trusted the fans who were giving them advice, but also that they understood, they, yeah, they, I mean, they, they'd struggled in their own way, hadn't they? You know, Bloom yeah. and... Um, you know, various members of the board had struggled in their own way during that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, not to forget the people that, that got things going, the people that fought for us for our very survival in the first place. And then the earlier stages of the stadium um, battle, which of course featured very heavily Dick Knight, the then chairman and owner at the time, um, various other people behind the scenes. Paul Welsh, of course, we both know knew well from his yes. time with Seagulls over London. Other people like Sarah Watts, who passed away, uh, Roy Tudor, um, and um, of course, Ed Bassford as well, Lord Bracknell, as he's known, yeah. was, was known, and, and many more besides. And the, the, those are the one, the names that are always mentioned. There'll be many others besides who, who did big and small gestures that helped us along that way. We all wrote letters, were involved in the campaigns, all that stuff. And it was a long, long battle. It wasn't one I was enjoying, I have to say, but now reflecting back on it, we can we can sit back and we've got much more colourful history to look back on, and we've got a beautiful stadium to enjoy for many decades to come. Um, it's had its ups and downs already. Certainly, that Palace defeat. I mean, it's like stubbing your toe in the mansion is better than stubbing your toe in a bedsit. Really, losing to that lot. Um, yes, it was our first competitive defeat at home um, was to them, um, but you know. We don't mind. We've got a much nicer house than they have now, and um, and we will have for years to come. We've also we've had some fantastic days, haven't we? The, the wins against Man United, the wins against Arsenal, and Spurs, and the, the, the overhead kick against Chelsea, even the defeat against Burnley with the, with the outrageous sort of sending off injustices and all that stuff, and the great escape song. Um, 
even we've even had some some um, toxicity as well, haven't we? We had the Sammy Hooker incident with the the Millwall game, with the fans really starting to turn. So we've already yeah. had quite a bit of quite a bit of um, narrative um, embedded into that stadium in those first ten years. And um, of course, we've had we had a promotion. We've had no relegations. That's the one thing we haven't had, and hopefully that will continue forever. But uh, <laughs> you know, um, but in the meantime, many some great games as well. Some really really good games that maybe not so famous, but are, are not forgotten as well. Some great goals, the Calderon goal, the Izquierdo goal from seemingly from miles out on the angles. Yeah, I mean... I sp- Spanish Dave. Two things I'd think of that are not they're not obvious um, games, because uh, most people want to talk about Sheffield Wednesday, they talk about the the playoff game. But actually, the, the Sheffield Wednesday game where um, we, were, we, were one, we were winning, it was one all, I think, Murray gets sent off for an handball. They got a corner. Yeah. Oh, a penalty, sorry. Penalty. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Then, um, and then Stockdale does a double save. Yeah. And if someone had said at the before that penalty was taken, oh no, you're going to win this game uh, 2-1. And actually you're going to end up with more players on the pitch than Sheffield Wednesday. I would have said that they were out of their mind. But in effect, that's what happened. I mean, that was one of those kind of humdinger nights. So like you go home afterwards, you just can't sleep because you're just still buzzing from it all, you know. And I guess the other one is, you know, probably the greatest goal that wasn't a goal that I've ever seen when Facenti hits the bar, you know, goes past about yeah. four or five players and hits the bar, you know. So they're two kind of sort of slightly maverick choices for the 10 years and amongst all the other glory that we've experienced there. And I think, you know, being there when pretty much we got promoted to the premiership was a really nice moment mm. as well. Yeah. So have you been on the pitch as well, Andy? Same as me. Um, I've been on the. I was on the pitch that day with Luke on my shoulders, and um, yeah, Luke very kindly through the um, Albion in the community. They did something um, um, back in April, May, and he's actually played done a football ses- training session on the pitch. Now he's actually played on there. You know, scored, scored a goal. <laughs> like, oh, yes, that's, so much get that's on right. So that's right. That's get on there quite recently, hard. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a great event. Yeah, yeah. My my mate's brother, who's got nothing to do with the Albion's, missed a penalty in the uh, at the south end of the ground um, at half time one day. I have no idea how he ended up on the pitch during a half time event thing, but um, yeah, he managed to miss. That was quite amusing. I, I wish I'd you know, known he was on there. I didn't know at the time. Would have taken the mick out of him. But uh, there's been uh, lots of funny moments having there as well. And um, of course, we've got Poogate as well to reflect on. Um, yeah. Which um, which got mentioned on the, uh, the the Palace documentary on the Amazon, Amazon Prime, um, which was quite interesting actually. But uh, I, I think they didn't quite give it the full justice of the coach driver's part in that, really. But uh, that was a very strange moment, I have to say. Um, but we've uh, we've been on TV a huge amount as well, haven't we? Because it's coincided with a, a happier era for us on the field, and we've we've yeah. been on TV so many times. Um, but I would imagine far more than any of our other previous grounds, including the Goldstone by now. I would imagine as well that in terms of like, you know, the, the comforts and the modernised um, way of producing football matches, it's probably a treat to go there, isn't it, compared to some of them? Yeah. yeah. yeah the facilities are second to yeah, none, aren't they? I know all the press yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah, just because it's modern. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. it's no coincidence. More Probably more home games and away games since we've been in the yeah. top flight. It feels like it anyway. And I still love the fact that, you know, sometimes when I come down to avoid the, if I'm driving and just to avoid the um, the traffic jam, you know, I go over the, the top of Ditchling Beacon and as you come over the top and you're going along, you look over and there it is, it just sort of pops up. It's like just a thing of beauty. It's like a th- cathedral, you know, 
and um and I, and I think considering it's a big massive football ground I think they did really well to to hide it as much as they could in amongst the uh, in amongst the bushes so to speak absolutely completely yeah. agree with you it's an area of outstanding natural beauty now now that yeah. they've got that stadium yeah. and I don't, yeah I think the fuss was for very little wasn't it I don't think it's, it's imposed too much in an area where there wasn't really it, it was under it, it was already developed land wasn't it effectively there more or less and and I think it's been a great addition personally I think it's it works very well all things considered considering there's only one station and, and not many other outlets um apart from you know simple bus routes and and all the coaches and everything um, I think it functions very well I think we've been run very well in terms of the stadium as well as as a club as a whole and we look forward to another decade in the sun hopefully um starting next weekend with the Watford game which I'll be down for um, with a load of others and taking my usual place in the West Upper and looking forward to some more fantastic football under Graham's stewardship so on that happy note um, I will love you leave you Andy and um, we'll see you again no doubt at various points during the season for uh, previews and review shows um, so in the meantime have some nice holidays and we'll see you back at the Amex soon um, and for everyone else, uh, we're going to part in the usual way. Andy, you're going to join in with this one. Stand or fall? Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.